Welcome everyone to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast and our Facebook podcast platform. Our listeners on our FM station in New York and our two Philadelphia radio stations. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. Let's get today's great show started. Chef Gene, introduce us to your fabulous guest. Well, one of my favorite little places to go in the theater district, but also adjacent to Jefferson Hospital, uh, as well as George Row in Philadelphia, is a wonderful restaurant called Barbarossa. Today, honored to have Joe Kepley, who is the general manager of operations for Barbarossa, which is part of the McGrogan restaurant group. Uh, Dave, who owns Barbarossa, is absolutely outstanding person who's been on our show previously. But Joe, welcome to Food Farms. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to hearing some great things about your upcoming menu and everything else. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, so before we get into your time at Barrosa, tell us a little bit about your background. Tell the listeners a little bit about how you got started in this industry and, and just more about you. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I've always had a passion for food. You know, I was uh, around my grandmother a lot growing up, you know, American-Italian woman, you know, very big on home cooking, overfeeding us. So uh, I went to college, actually, for hotel and restaurant management. Um, so I kind of had a passion early on for the business. When I got out of the military, I was uh, looking, you know, for different positions, and I actually started, you know, Chick-fil-A was my first management position, uh, running their kitchen there, and... Uh, you know, was learned a lot of great stuff. You know, Chick-fil-A has a lot of great systems. They're very systems-driven, which was, you know, a very big thing for me. From there, I went on to work for Darden Restaurant Group, um, and I became a general manager at one of their large locations, Bahama Breeze, and down in South Florida. Um, and then, uh, you know, I brought myself up here where I met my wife, and, um, you know, I've been up here in Philadelphia from Florida for about 11 years now. Built the McGrogan Group uh, about a year now, almost coming up pretty uh, soon. It's a great, uh, great company to work for. Um, like you mentioned, Dave is, you know, an outstanding gentleman. Um, you know, of all the places I've worked, uh, he's probably one of the best people I've worked for, honestly. It's just a great environment. Um, you know, I really enjoy going to work every day there and growing this restaurant. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, that's really it about me. You know, I, I didn't really bounce around too much. You know, I've stayed in a lot of places. I like to kind of kind of own my place and kind of grow there, and that's a big reason why I stuck with, you know, we came to the McGrogan Group. You know, I love that you started out at Chick-fil-A. Uh, I'm a believer that they probably have the best systems of operations going in fast food. I mean, I personally think they should have been the people distributing the COVID vaccine in the beginning because everybody would have been on their second shot within the first month. Don't let them hear you call it fast product. food, though, Gene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that is true. Fast <laughs> casual. It's our pleasure. Yeah, they, yeah it took me they, years they, to they, not say my pleasure after someone said thank you. They really do have a great philosophy, and if you ever see the feel-good stories about, 
you know, people jumping through the cashier window to help a guest in distress, you can almost always bet it's going to be in a Chick-fil-A. It's, it's just amazing the customer service they instill. And I will say at Barrow I was there recently, and I will tell this slightly embarrassing story where I plugged in the wrong day for reservations, and I had a couple that were beating, and your restaurant from the hostess on just went out of their way to make sure that we were taken care of. They had no obligation to do that. I totally screwed it up. I had the wrong day in. But that customer service that Barrow Rosa showed really said a lot about, obviously, your leadership, Dave's leadership as an owner, but you know the the staff, the pride that the staff had too. It it was an extremely busy night. It was a theater night, and still were able to accommodate me, and were really honest up front with, "Hey, it might take a little bit longer because we're going to put you in an area that's not really open," and you know, and it didn't take any longer. But you know, you still you you didn't set expectations you couldn't meet. So you know, kudos to your staff and, and your leadership on that. Tell us a little bit about Barrosa. Yeah, so Barrosa's, um, we've been around seven years. We had a location in downtown that had closed a, you know, about five years ago. Um, great, nice American-Italian restaurant. We are owned by the McGrogan Group, but we are a separate entity. They own the Harvest Seasonal Wine Bar and Grills. Excellent restaurants that you definitely should check out. They just released their seasonal menu. Um, I dined there a lot in Morristown, New Jersey. I was there at the one in Delray Beach, Florida. Um, also, just excellent, great flavor. But, um, you know, Barrosa were kept separate, and, uh, you know, I really love it because— I kind of get to own the restaurant and kind of make it, you know, a little piece of my own while like guidance through Dave McGrogan and Dan Morris, who's one of our operating partners. Um, you know, nice casual American Italian food, um, very beautiful space. Um, Bar Rosa stands for Red House, you know, where our brick um, red in on the downstairs, great red leather booths. You go upstairs, you got that really white, uh, great brick with the white leather booths. Great. We do a lot of rehearsal dinners. We've been hosted a few weddings up there. Um, you know, just a beautiful space. The guests that come into our place are actually great. Out of anywhere I've ever worked, I think we have the best guests. Um, they're just very, you know, understanding, great people, you know. Um, and uh, I'm really excited for this new rollout of the menu. You know, we were working with our COVID menu, um, and we've finally able to get some great staff. And, you know, we still are, you know, working on getting staff, but we're definitely at a very good staffing point for, you know, how a lot of people are in this COVID time. And I think a big piece of that is culture. Um, you know, I'm big on building culture in my restaurants, and I think that's what reflects onto the guests. Um, you know, I have a very stern hand, but I'm also, you know, a very fair leader. Um, I've had a lot of great mentors over the years. You know, coming out of the military, you know, in an infantry unit, you know, I was a little hard, you know, coming off, expecting people to, you know, respond differently than, you know, in the actual working world. And I worked with a lot of great mentors over the years, and I've adapted my leadership, and I think that's a, you know, shown on the restaurant with the staff that we have and really just trying to grow people and uh, really put out great food and great cocktails and just great service. Um, that's really what Bar Rosa is all about is just great cocktails, great food, great people, um, down to the guests, to the staff, everybody, you know, it doesn't matter the position in that restaurant, you know, everybody you just got, you can just, when you come in, you can see it. It's just, everybody's happy, smiling. It's great that they lifted the mask mandate because you can really see the true personality of our staff. Um, which I think is a big part of any restaurant is the experience. You know, it's it's a huge part. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. It's always nice to see uh, someone from the military in that position, and it certainly inspires me. I know many others to come and and support that. 
you know, business, uh, you know, as growing up the, the son of a, a general head World War II Marine, they were taught respect for the military. So thank you, first of all. You have a great, I mean, the, the building, the red brick, the feel of it, you know, kind of feels raw, but warm and comforting. It's it's really unique like that. And your food goes along with that. But I will say your drinks go along with that, too. You know, had a wonderful bourbon cocktail my last time there, done with a, a smoked, a piece of smoked uh, bacon as a garnish that was just absolutely delicious. Uh, you, you know, you do you go out of your way to blend cocktails with dinner, and I, I don't really want to talk much about your, you know, the theater business. But one of the things that you do is you do some of your menus and specials and limited menus really around the shows that are playing there at the Walnut and, and you know, in the theater district. Um, you know, is that something that you brought in or something that was existing there? So we've always done the prefix menu for the theaters, but um, something that I've done with it is try to include new items that are on the menu as well as, you know, trying to theme it towards that show that is in place. So, um, and it's been a big hit. It's great for the guests, the theater guests, but it's open to anybody who's not coming to the show as well. Anybody can get it. Um, you know, it's a great price point. Um, you know, $50 is the price point. You get an appetizer, you get an entree, and you get a dessert, you know, all handcrafted, you know, everything made in-house. Um, you know, and they're all great selections of options. So that's something we're going to continue to do. We're actually rolling out one of those for the next show at the Walnut Street Theater, which is uh, the Patsy Klein tribute, which will be huge. Um, you know, Patsy Klein's a legend, although I've really realized the young generation, you know, they're like, who's Patsy Klein? And I'm like, I'm not that old. You know, I'm 32, but I'm like, geez, even I know who Patsy Klein is. <laughs> You know, so um, well, the theaters have been great, but that's a big piece we we're trying to do is drive that business to our local people and really get Philadelphia to enjoy our food. I mean, Philadelphia is obviously a huge restaurant city. I think before COVID, there was almost 4,000 restaurants in the city limits, um, you know, and there's American Italian everywhere, you know, and, you know, we stand out because of our great service and our great people and our great dishes, you know, and, you know, we're not that traditional old school Italian where the menu is going to be. 15 years old, you know, and stuff like that. We want to drive that new age and especially down, like you said, to our cocktail, the wine menus and everything. So, you know, especially with uh, the private parties, we have such great spaces and such great private dining packages that, you know, guests have a great time. Um, you know, so we, you know, we actually had a wedding uh, two weeks ago. Um, it was a great time. They got married in our, in one of our PDR rooms, which has a nice chandelier and some paintings from the David Rocco gallery down the street that he posts in our, um, in our restaurant as well. So so you have a new menu coming out. So what's the highlights of the menu? What do you, what, I, I will be in uh, Easter for this show or uh, pre-show. I have tickets Easter. Um, so, you know, I know the menu will come out just before that, I believe. So I do believe April 19th is actually going to be the menu rollout date. Okay. Um, you know, rolling out a new menu, there's always hiccups. Um, so we are about a week behind. We are still aiming for April 12th. I just, it's more likely to be April 19th. Now, however, Easter, I did come up with a Easter menu that we're going to offer some specials on. That's going to be great additions. I can talk about that real quick if you'd like. So Sure, please do. Yeah, so we're going to have an Easter, a nice Easter menu and, um, you know, a couple big highlights. Um, like I said, my grandmother was a big inspiration um, in my cooking and all that. So one of these things she used to make was these deviled strawberries. And um, it's not your traditional, like, deviled egg, you know, but 
It's nice fresh strawberry with this like lemon cream cheese filling, and that we filled them in there with some graham cracker crumble. So that's one of the appetizers we are going to add, which is going to be absolutely delicious. Um, we have a basil tomato baki, which is you know your nice grape cherry tomatoes mixed in together, you know, with some nice cheeses and some garlic and some breadcrumbs, and it's nice and baked. And then um, you know we're going to have a great Sicilian Benedict for our brunch menu going to dinner as well. It's going to have a ciabatta roll with some prosciutto, some fresh spinach, and a basil hollandaise sauce with you know your typical poached egg. It's going to be. There's a couple other additions, you know, great as well. Um, but it's going to be a great push, so you'll definitely enjoy that menu. That is not a prefix; that's a separate, you know, a la carte menu. And uh, I think that'll, you know, there's a lot of great additions. A nice honey smoked, honey baked ham um, that I'll be making as well. So, yeah, I'm definitely come down for Easter. Um, enjoy, you know, brunch and dinner. We'll be open 11 to 8 on Easter. So, well, I encourage anybody who has not made Easter reservations to go down and try it. Those special sounds and that phenomenal and just the food overall that you produce there is just amazing. Tell us the highlights of the new menu that will come out then, you know, the week after Easter. Yeah, so, you know, I kept a, we kept some of our, you know, basic popular dishes, but some of the nice stuff we started, you know, kind of started with our appetizers. You know, we, uh, we're bringing mussels back. We did not have mussels. So, you know, it was a, I've always wanted to bring them back. It was just sourcing a quality product. So we are bringing our steamed mussels back, you know, with our spicy main area, garlic white wine sauce, absolutely delicious. Sourcing more fish, we're going to bring on these awesome whiskey glazed sea scallops. So, you know, they're pan sautéed with like a hot whiskey glaze and a garlic butter sauce and our homemade crostinis. Very excited about those. I think those are going to be absolutely delicious. Soup-wise, we are going to start bringing our our soup du jour on with a special soup. Uh, You know, our minestrone is going to stay on the menu. It's a classic soup. The first soup du jour will be pasta vajoli, which is also my GB's recipe. Um, an excellent dish, some ground sausage, you know, your, you know, your beans and your great tomato sauce in there. So that's going to be a great addition. And uh, entree-wise, the stuff I'm, you know, mostly really excited about, we are bringing on some really good stuff. So a lot of people don't think of your Italian restaurant as being very vegan and gluten-free friendly, but we actually have a lot of very gluten-free and vegan options. We've actually won a few awards for our vegan dishes. You know, we use Violife cheese, which is a great vegan cheese. We have an excellent gluten-free pizza crust that is not cauliflower based so it's not crunchy it's soft like true pizza crust um so one of the big things we're bringing on for our vegans that can be enjoyed by non-vegans also is a nice vegan mushroom ravioli it's a truffle oil mushroom ravioli with some sauteed spinach sun-dried tomatoes and a basil pesto sauce which is all in-house made the pesto sauce and everything made to order so that's gonna be a great addition for our vegans that i think they'll really enjoy carbonara is a classic italian dish um, like I said, I like to put twists on stuff. So, um, you know, you can't add too much cheese to a tortellini carbonara, to a carbonara, right? So instead of your linguine carbonara, we're going to have a tortellini carbonara with a nice cheese tortellini with some house-made smoked pancetta to really give it that great flavor. Um, and then a big thing um, that I'm really excited about is my GB's lasagna. You know, GB is my grandmother. That's why I called her all the years. Um, she had this great Sicilian lasagna. Um, that we're going to add to the menu. I've been wanting to bring lasagna. It's just, just a great classic Italian dish. Easy to execute, but it's so delicious. So it's going to have a great um, bolognese sauce with a whole, like a house-made cheese bechamel sauce that'll get it twice baked, and um, that's going to be great. And then um, another scallop dish, because you can never have, you know, everyone loves scallops, right? I mean, like, it's probably my, it's honestly one of my favorite fish. Yeah, so we're going to use the 1020s. Um, so it'll be a good-sized scallop, you know, and um, it's a creamy Tuscan scallop dish. So they're pan-seared, sun-dried tomatoes, we're going to have some fresh shallots and garlic, and then it'll be a house-made creamy Tuscan sauce. 
and we'll be we'll be using our um, a Chianti, you know, off of our wine list. So it's going to be a quality Chianti from the Tuscan region. So it'll be a true Tuscan sauce for those scallops, um, served over some nice sautéed spinach. So very light and very delicious. That's kind of that's how we serve our marsala also. Um, our chicken marsala is a very delicious dish, and we actually serve it over spinach instead of pasta with a nice marsala demi. Makes it nice and light um, and delicious. So, and then the big thing I think uh, everyone's going to love, and uh, you seem to love fish, so I think you're going to enjoy this, is a lobster and shrimp scampi. Um, it's going to be a lobster ravioli with jumbo shrimp, some grape tomatoes, fresh wild mushrooms, fresh garlic, and then a lemon cream sauce to give it a nice creamy finish to that lobster ravioli and those jumbo shrimp. So the purpose of, you know, what I've been doing with changing this menu is just trying to bring more fresh items on. You know, we are American-Italian, so I want to bring some of those traditional dishes in, but also put our own twist on them and be able to, you know, bring it to our own and really bring new flavor to our guests. We do have a lot of repeat guests with the theater. I'd like for them to be able to come in and enjoy some new dishes. Um, we did the same thing with the wines as well. And, um, you know, we added some great wines, some great regions as well to the list. Uh, you know, we brought some higher-tier wines also in with uh, Decoy Limited. With their Cabernet and the Decoy Limited Cabernet and Decoy Limited Pinot Noir, which are excellent, excellent wines, just have very, very great flavors to them. And um, I think everyone, you know, knows the Duckhorns. If you know wine and Decoy, you know it's a staple in the wine, and just a lot of great flavors. And then cocktails. I know you like your bourbon. You had your bacon old fashioned over there, is what Gene was talking about yeah. earlier, um, which is something we added. Uh, for restaurant week back in October, Knob Creek Rye was one of the sponsors for restaurant week. So we do have a lot of those guests that love old fashions and Manhattans and things like that. So, I mean, who doesn't like bacon? You know, I mean, there are people that don't like bacon, but mostly everybody loves bacon. So, um, you know, we take a uh, Knob Creek rye with some bourbon maple syrup and some fresh smoked bacon and some orange bitters, and it's an excellent drink. So for our new cocktail, I want to stick with that old fashioned, but we're actually going to be doing a blueberry old fashioned with Rittenhouse Rye. It's a local uh, distillery right there in Philadelphia with Rittenhouse. It's excellent um, rye uh liquor and it's going to be you know we have a homemade blueberry syrup that we actually make for a couple of our drinks that we'll be adding to that so i think it's gonna be delicious and uh strawberry lemon drop martini um it's going to be great kettle one vodka cointreau strawberry puree um lemon juice you know a lot of great quality liquor we try to use you know quality liquor to bring you know quality cocktails a lot of our stuff are you know basic ingredients but fresh flavor so you can actually you know you can enjoy your drink um, and then our made man staying on the menu. It's a very popular drink. Everyone loves it. And, uh, you know, it's bullet rye, that bourbon maple syrup and peach bitters. It's kind of our own twist on a Manhattan that people really, really enjoy. And then if you ever come to Bar Rosa and you've been here enough, you know one thing we're known for is our cellos, our bar of cellos, we call them. So we make our own lemon cello, pineapple cello, and orange cello in-house. Um, they're absolutely delicious, great for a dessert finish. And uh, I've been told that we make the best espresso martini that anybody's ever had. So, you know, great dessert drink. We use high-quality that. We use absolute vanilla, some Kahlua, and, you know, fresh Italian espresso in there. Shake it up, give it a nice and foam, and shave some coffee beans over the top. No way to better finish your meal, you know, than an espresso martini on a Friday night. On any night. Don't, don't yeah. just limit it to Friday. Yeah. Go any night. So before we let you go, uh, tell our listeners where they can find Barossa, where they can get more information about your menus, uh, social media for our listeners. There is convenient parking less than a half block away, uh, right in the theater and the 
George Row area of Philadelphia. You're a great location to get out and even walk a little bit in the evening. But please tell us, our listeners, where they can keep up to date with what's going on. Yeah, so we are located at 10th and Walnut right on the corner. Excellent location. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. We post a lot of our food on there as well as, uh, you know, our Instagram and all that. So reservations, you know, you can book right there. Website open table. We always recommend making a reservation. You know, we do book up for the shows, um, especially when the theater is around and the Walnut. Um, you can always call and make a reservation. And then, you know, if you stop in, you know, be sure to ask for Joe. You can always find me. Um, I'm a sneaker guy. And I get the guys at work love to make fun of me for it. But I think Gene probably saw me in the kicks, too, when he came. But, uh, you know, I'm always matching them with different suits. And uh, so just look for the guy in the fancy, you know, peacock sneakers. I like to call them because they're bright. And, you know, and then I'd love to, you know, meet anybody that would love to talk. And, you know, it's uh, that's a big piece why I love to be in this business. My wife always jokes and says I never shut up. And it's funny because me and my wife are just complete opposite people. She's a complete introvert. I'm a complete extrovert. I could go anywhere and talk to anybody. And that's a great part about being in this business, you know, and that's what I love about it the most is I meet so many great people and get to just talk to so many people, and you just learn so much about people and everything. So, uh, yeah, so you attend the Walnut, please come down, and uh, we're excited to have you. All right. It was a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming on the Food Farm. It's Jess telling us about your menu. I'm really excited to get back down there and uh, dig into some new food and uh, – Maybe I'll see you on Easter. Awesome. Look forward to it. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. To become a sponsor of our show and have your business or event promoted on every single podcast platform, two Philadelphia radio stations on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. evening drive time, an FM station in New York, and to the millions of Facebook users worldwide with access to the Facebook mobile app. Send us an email to either foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com or diningonadime at yahoo.com. And we're back. Chef Gene, introduce us to your fabulous guest. Well, if anybody's ever wondered what it takes, we're about to find out in a few minutes. But more importantly, we're going to find out a little bit more about one of the great restaurants in the New Hope region. A great place to go if you're up there just for the river or for a show or just doing some shopping. But I want to welcome at this point in time Michael Halloran of Stella Restaurant, great chef who just recently got some acclaim for you know showing Bobby Flay what a real chef is like. <laughs> chef O'Halloran, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thanks, Gene. I'm very happy to be here. We are so happy to have you. Before we get into you know the whole Bobby Flay thing and into the restaurant, tell us a little bit about your background. Early inspiration. What got you into culinary arts and you know into becoming a chef? Uh, I guess the absolute beginning, beginning. Uh, I think I was twelve. The summer I was twelve, uh, I had a like five day stretch of juvenile delinquency, uh, and uh, it was kind of alarming to my parents, and sort of as punishment. My father called one of his friends who owned a restaurant in the town uh, that I lived and basically said, uh, put this guy to work. Um, so I went and I did dishes in this family-owned Italian restaurant. Uh, and 
you know, it was typical hot, humid, really hard work, a bunch of strangers yelling at me. Uh, at the end of it, I got a giant meatball sandwich, and I think at that point I was kind of hooked. So I did. Uh, yeah, that's a great story how we go from being the delinquent youth to we are to becoming chefs. And I think that there's many chefs who share a similar uh, upbringing, and, you know, something in our life that, you know, got us into something we, we didn't know what we were in store for. And here we go, and our career begins. But yeah, uh, it's like sports, sports don't work necessarily. And, you know, uh, and I think most people just kind of, you know, find themselves in it, and then it clicks. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your background coming into it, you know, uh, where, where you've worked and, and, you know, studied and learned. Uh, so I worked in that Italian restaurant throughout high school. And then I went to like regular college because uh, I never at that time really considered it to be a career option. Uh, it was a while ago, so there was no there were no celebrity chefs there were no there was no food network. Uh so it just never really seemed like much of a career option. And the expectation was that I was going to go to college. So I went to college, college, uh, and majored in, uh, philosophy, which meant that when I got out of college, I had to get a job, uh, cause I couldn't really get anything. The philosophy field was tough at that point. Uh, so I essentially, I cooked through high school. I cooked to get through college. And then by the time I got out of college, it was sort of graduate school, go get a desk job or continue cooking. So I, I went back uh, full-time into kitchens, still kind of like not really focused on it as a career, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, and then I moved to uh, Nantucket for a summer. And I just, something about that atmosphere, uh, to tiny, tiny little island, uh, a bunch of restaurants, uh, a really tight restaurant community, uh, a lot of really good restaurants. Uh, and over the course of the summer, I kind of decided, all right, that's what I'm going to do for a living. So when I came back to Philadelphia, I was like, all right, I need to get a job in a really good restaurant. Because at this point, I'm a little on the older side, uh, too old to really go to cooking school, and I already had student loans. So I just decided I need to get a job at a good restaurant uh, and just learn as much as I can as quickly as I can to try to catch up with my peers. So I went and worked at the White Dog Cafe in University City. Uh, at the time, it was owned by Judy Wicks, and she was kind of a pioneer in the farm-to-table movement in Philly. So she was the first one that was buying from farms, uh, and that restaurant really cooked based on what the farms had in store. So like every week, we would get a list of everything that was coming, and our job was to try to work a, a menu around uh, those ingredients. Uh, so it was really a phenomenal learning experience. Uh, the menus changed all the time, and they had an enormous library, uh, probably 500 cookbooks. So I would just take a couple of cookbooks home with me every week, read through those, and then just watching the chef sort of go through the process of turning all these ingredients into entrees and appetizers, uh, was just a really good, a really good exercise in 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 uh, working like creative muscle. Uh, so I worked my way up to sous chef there. Uh, I think I was there for three years. Uh, left and went 
to help open Fork Restaurant in Old City. Uh, so that was a great experience opening up, you know, from, from, from start to finish, uh, from like conception to execution, uh, for that restaurant. Um, and that followed the similar philosophy of, of seasonal quick cuisine, cooking to what the farmers had. I did that for a while. And then I took a break and did some nonprofit work. I worked for Project Home, which is a, not a, um, homeless advocacy group. And I ran their sort of catering uh, and cafe uh, department uh, for a year. Fell in love with the business side of it. There was a fair amount of, uh, uh, there were a lot of meetings where I had to sit with members of the board and go over what was happening with the finances. So I got a really good look at sort of the, the back end of the business side of things. Uh, and then decided to take some some business classes so that I would have that side uh, that side down. Uh, kind of fell in love with that and continued and got an MBA uh, at Drexel. And then I got a job in corporate finance and I despised it. It was like um, just absolutely not built for my personality. But I muddled through. Now, if, you were, if you're a years. chef, you're never going to do well. It's- corporate finance no uh i felt it was i mean the lovely people lovely company but i felt like i was in a cage um like literally uh so uh judy wicks the owner of the white dog uh came to my wedding and at the wedding she says hey you know what are you doing and do you like it and i was like corporate finance and no uh, a couple of months passed by and then she's she called me and said, hey, uh, our chef is leaving. Do you want to come back? Uh, and my answer was, like, immediately yes. Uh, I took a week before going back to the White Dog to go work, uh, to sort of do a, a week-long stage at uh, Chez Panisse in Berkeley, um, to sort of try to get my chops back as quickly as possible because it had been a minute since I was in there. Uh, so I went back. To the White Dog, I was there for a year, uh, and then I opened my own restaurant in Old City Bistro Seven. I did that for uh, I don't know, eleven years maybe. Uh, closed that down and sort of took a gap, a gap period. Uh, I had, my kids were really young at the time, so I sort of did the uh, the uh, stay-at-home dad thing for a period of time, kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And then somebody reached out and uh, with a couple of different job prospects, one of which was Stella in New Hope. Uh, I was kind of dissuaded from taking that job or considering that job because of the commute. The idea was that it's too far away. And even if you like it, you're going to not stay because the commute is, is, is so long. Uh, I went up and I interviewed and I hadn't been in New Hope in like a decade. And, and it was just... Uh, there had been so much development, uh, and it's just gorgeous up there. And after spending, you know, 20 years in the city, uh, it was just something that really resonated with me coming out and just, it's on the river. It's beautiful. I drive by farms on my way up there. Uh, it was brand new. Uh, and I just really hit it off with the owner and the GM and just felt like, uh, an immediate connection. Uh, so that was that, that was 
August, uh, two years ago. So I'm coming up on three years there now. So how did you get involved with the Beat Bobby Flight? So I guess it was early. It was like last spring. Uh, we were finishing up brunch service, and one of the servers came back and said, there's a customer out there who saw your name on the menu, and she wants to know if you're the Michael O'Hallan from Philadelphia. And I said, yes. And, you know, we were just wrapping up, and I was like, oh, let me go out and see who this person is. So I walked out, uh, and it's somebody I met years ago, uh, like 15 years ago. So we're just chatting about, you know, what we're up to and everything. And, and I, uh, you know, I said, so what are you doing now? Because actually I'm working for Bobby Flay. I was like, oh, that's cool. And she said, would you ever be on that show? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'd seen Bobby Flay film one of his shows at the Reading Terminal Markets. Uh, and off camera, he was like just genuinely, like a genuinely uh, interested person. Like he was super interested in what the uh, other contestants were doing and how they were making their food and about their backgrounds and stuff. So it just seemed like a genuinely nice guy. Uh, uh, and I hadn't seen a show in a while, but I was like, yeah, sure. Thinking, you know, that's that. Uh, I'll never hear from this person or from Bobby Flay. And then I guess maybe uh, close to a year later, or a little over a year later, uh, I got an email asking me if I wanted to perform on the show. Well, I second the genuinely nice guy. I had an opportunity to spend an evening with him many years ago at the Art Institute of Philadelphia and things like that, and was just a genuinely wonderful person, uh, you know, had, you know, a great personality, took time to get to know people, just, a, you know, a great, a great, you know, culinarian, but just a genuinely nice guy. Yeah, so he's like a really solid person. To do the thing that most contestants don't do, and you beat them. What did you prepare that day? Uh, my dish was, uh, was, um, hay smoked duck. Okay. So actually very, uh, very unique. That's kind of why I chose it. Uh, it's one of the dishes that's been on the menu. So I've been working on this, like a, uh, duck has always been a challenge. Uh, so I've been cooking this particular duck breast for a while and it's changed. Like I've changed, um, or the, the technique has developed over, over time. Uh, so it's sort of like, I think it's, the technique is, is somewhat unique. So I thought I have a little bit of an advantage there. Uh, there's a smoking component, which that's always, uh, that's always kind of like a curveball. Like it's not like you can set a timer and smoke something. You always, have, you know, so I felt like it was challenging enough and I had somewhat of a unique enough, um, uh, technique with it and it's something I'm super familiar with and it's also something that's pretty indicative of the food uh, that we're serving at Stella so I felt just really really comfortable with that dish and uh, uh, if I completely panicked I was still going to be able to do it because I cooked it for so long I can do it blindfolded so uh, it was sort of like a security blanket but I also think that there's something a, 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 at least a bit unique about it well, certainly bringing home a victory over Bobby Flay, you know, the, the great New Yorker or, you know, taking bringing back to, you know, Bucks County, Pennsylvania is a wonderful thing. Tell us a little bit about Stella and, and the menus there and, you know, the whole concept. It's 
that's kind of one of my go-tos when I'm up in that area. Uh, sure. So we're right at uh, uh, 50 South Main Street, so we're really dead center of New Hope, right next to the Bucks County Playhouse. Uh, we've been open uh, for about three years, uh, and we're just a, a farm-to-table, uh, uh, I guess it's farm-to-table new American cuisine, if I had to give it a label. Um, but we order, you know, we get food from a lot of, of the farms up there. Uh, it's just ridiculous how many how many farms there are up there, so... Especially in the summer, we get, you know, uh, our orchard fruits and our tomatoes and all of our lettuces and our herbs and our microgreens uh, uh, all from up around there. Uh, we are open for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays, and we're open for dinner uh, Wednesdays through Sundays. And we also have a very large uh, venue, uh, wedding venue, event venue. So we do a lot of weddings, we do a lot of baby showers, uh, that kind of stuff. Well, you know, it's funny, you follow last week, we featured, uh, you know, the Bucks County, um, you know, Farm Alliance, we had the group on, and, you know, we do a lot with the Bucks County Farms. I live up that way, so... You know, I, I do know what you're speaking of when you talk about the great quality produce up there, and it really does make a difference. What are your biggest items on the menu? What are people really, uh, really raving about? Uh, well, right now we're selling, as you would expect, a, a disproportionate amount of duck. Uh, so um, that's a really popular dish. Uh, but we do. Uh, Everything sells pretty well. Uh, we have, uh, uh, in the spring and summer, we have a tomato salad that does really well. Um, we have the hay smoked duck. Uh, we have uh, really beautiful uh, sea scallops. Uh, so, and then we also do a fair amount of vegetarian food. Uh, so it's not full-on vegan, but everything can be uh, pretty readily turned into a vegan dish. But there are a significant number of vegetarians in that area. Uh, so I think we have seven or eight vegetarian appetizers, and we always have at least two vegetarian entrees. Uh, and we, we work really hard on those because we don't want uh, – you know, you go to a restaurant, and sometimes the vegetarian dish is like an afterthought. Like, the chef has to put it on there, so he just comes up with something – there's not a lot of enthusiasm about it, but we work really hard to make sure that the things on the vegetarian side would be satisfying to even a non-vegetarian. So, um, uh, and then, yeah, it depends, I guess, specifically what's on the menu. As we're transitioning to our spring menu, we're still waiting to hear back from the farms about when they're going to have uh, product and, and what that product specifically is going to be. Will you be doing anything uh, as we get into the shad run there? And, you know, New Hope area and, and New Hope Lambertville always has a, a wonderful, uh, you know, festival or shad festival up in that area. Will you be doing anything with shad on the menu this spring? I am seriously looking at shad. I used to cook. We used to. I used to cook shad roe. Sure. I don't know 
what the popularity of that would be. Uh, but we're we're toying around with that to, to try to put it on as a special and just sort of see. You know, it's sort of like Chad Rowe reminds me a little bit of like like calves liver, it's like something that was enormously popular 20 years ago. And when you put it on a menu, people are like, oh my god, I have to have that. It's been so long. So yeah, we're definitely we're pondering a Chad Rowe uh, and a Chad. Uh, special for the spring. I would agree with you 100% on that. Um, and growing up in Bucks County, having fish for shad, you know, knowing the whole routine, I think that as an as a limited type of menu item, um, it'll do well for a couple weeks, especially during that spring run when there's such an abundance of it available and all that. Yeah, we see the so guys shad, out there cool. fishing for it now. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the early run. We're starting to get some out there. So before we let you go, um, tell us where people can find out more information about the restaurant, uh, where they can make reservations, sure. uh, and anything else that they need to know. Uh, so it's uh, Stella of New Hope. It's at 50 South Main Street in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Uh, the website is StellaNewHope.com. We, uh, we can be reached on Open Table. Uh, and like I said, we're brunch Saturday, Sunday, dinner Tuesday through Sunday. Uh, and we're starting to see a lot more interest in our outdoor seating. We have a lot of outdoor seating spaces. Uh, and if anyone is looking for a venue for a large event, uh, we're pretty good at that as well. One of the other things that you know I do need to touch on, as we spoke about with our previous guest, is right adjacent to the Bucks County Theater, the Bucks County Playhouse. Yeah. Uh, this week, uh, great play Ray Didinger's Tommy and Me is opening up. Um, I will actually do your restaurant and the play on Thursday. So okay. you know, people stopping in want to see a great show, Tommy and Me, uh, with the great Ray Didinger. And uh, or written by the great Ray Didinger, and uh, what an absolute fabulous restaurant to have a pre-show dinner at. Chef, thank you so much for coming and uh, talking to us. Congratulations on your win of a body thank play. You. He's thank a you. tough, he's a tough competitor, you know. Yeah, he's, he's good. Not an easy, not an easy person. Well, I appreciate it. I had a really good time chatting. Thanks, Chef. I look forward to talking to you again. Congratulations. And uh, to our listeners, Stella New Hope, great place. Thank you. Thank you, Chef. Thank you. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Tune in to Dining on a Dime to hear from Gene Blum, our chef, educator, consultant, and historian. You can find him across social media at ibfoodie2 or Gene Blum at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. And you can also tune in to listen to Amaris Pollock and find her across social media at arpollockus at gmail.com. And we're back. Amaris Pollock, introduce us to your fabulous guest. Hi, everyone. And for anybody watching on uh, YouTube, hello to you as well. 
Kyle, I would like to introduce you to our food farms and chefs fans. And to our fans, I would like to introduce you to Kyle Laird, who is one of the owners of Armageddon Brewer Brewing Company um, in Somerdale, New Jersey. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. So um, I actually was introduced to you and your brewery at uh, by two of my friends. Um, and you were the bar back, actually, at the time. Um, but... Your brewery is interesting because you serve mead. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how did you guys get started um, with with you know be- becoming a brewery that specializes in ciders and mead? Yeah, so it is a bit of a misnomer because I think brewing sort of connotates that you're going to be brewing beer and there's no actual heat involved in our process. It's more akin to winemaking, but um, you know the. I guess our origin was almost like kind of spite or like we could do this better. Um, You know, Christian and I have been friends for a while now. Christian is my business partner, uh, as well as uh, Matt Olson, my other business partner. We all own the cidery together. Um, But Christian and I have been friends um, longer than I have been with Matt. We just, you know, I met Matt through Christian. Um, So we were friends for a while. Um, In fact, our kinship started over craft beer. That's kind of how we kicked it off. But, um, you know, uh, Christian had, uh, he had a run in, he, he thought he may have had celiacs. He was like misproperly diagnosed with it as far as we can tell, because he is able to enjoy gluten in all of its glory today. So it may have just been a temporary thing. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but, um, anyway, that, you know, at the time we were homebrewing and he had this, uh, sort of gluten sensitivity pop up. And then he was like, well, you know, I still need to get drunk what can I do about this problem? And ciders presented themselves. And I believe he had actually a, uh, a French style or maybe an English style cider. I wish he were here to confirm, but uh, at, a, uh, at a bar in Philadelphia called uh, the Dandelion. And it was just so much different than what we had had in the States. Um, you know, com- you know I-, I won't throw shade at anyone, but certain uh, uh, large scale cider producers that were on the market just tasted overly saccharine, you know, tasted like a Jolly Rancher in a glass. And it just wasn't what we were looking for compared to this sort of drier and more robust style that you could find in Europe. And the same thing with that, well, sort of separate but parallel to that, um, I had known about mead ever since I went to visit some buddies up in Long Island and they knew a guy with an apiary that was making his own homemade mead. And, you know, I'm like 22 at the time. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. And my buddy's like, try it, dude. This is what the Vikings drank. Like, it'll make you want to raid a village. And like, I don't know if that's necessarily the vibe we're going for. But uh, anyway, yeah, so I've known about mead for a while. Christian is another avid drinker, such as myself. We always like to try new styles and explore, you know, new types of uh, liquor. So I one day told him about mead and he was really interested. And we went to the store to see what we could find on the shelves. And what we found was pretty terrible. (laughs) So it was, I guess, out of spite or just, you know, spite for these companies saying that this was mead, even though it was just a white wine with honey added to it, or, or, uh, you know, spite to these companies that are producing this overly sweetened cider saying like, we could do this better. Let's try to do this better. And he started uh, home brewing, well, not brewing, home making cider and mead uh, out of his garage and he had a he had a real knack for it i mean 
the guy is a master at his craft. Um, and he is our master brewer. Most of the recipes are his idea and he's the guy that fine tunes them all. Um, yeah, so it just, we started making it, had a real positive reception with our friends and family, saw that there wasn't really a market for it due to various legal reasons in this state. And we thought we could give it a go. Um, we just, you know, not that we hate our jobs, but you know, we all do our nine to five, you know, jobs and it's cool. I mean, I, I personally, I like my day job a lot, but it's, it's a day job. It's not something that I own and, you know, can, can sort of craft and, and guide based on how I want a business to go. I kind of just have to fall in line and do my job, which is fine. But, you know, if we could try to start our own business, why not? Well, speaking of starting your own business, it actually took you guys a little bit longer than normal to, uh, to, obtain the licensing and and be able to open up your um fermented drinks <laughs> we will avoid saying uh brewed um because of the the lengths that you had to go in order to raise um awareness and change the laws so that you could actually um cr- create mead yeah uh not just mead but also cider as well at least within the state of new jersey Um, As far as I recall, there was no law or regulations on the books for mead. Like you just couldn't make mead in New Jersey because it wasn't defined as a thing. So New Jersey regulators just didn't know what to do with it. And cider fell, at the time, it fell under a limited winery license, which was fairly unobtainable, especially for, you know, a startup business. I don't really remember all the specifics, but it had some pretty crazy stuff like you needed to have like at least three acres of land attached to your facility. Um, 51% of your product had to be grown on estate, um, stuff like that, which was just like, how can we do that? How can we even afford three acres of land? Yeah. Well, you know, um, and at the time, I believe there was only one actual commercial cidery in New Jersey, which was Ironbound up in North Jersey. And that guy, like, owned the land and he planted like 10 or 20,000 trees. Like he, he did the work to get under that limited winery license, but we wanted to open it up more. We wanted to do, do more small scale, something that we could actually afford and, you know, not try to take out a huge business loan to buy land and buy trees and wait six years for them to bear fruit. So, so we started the process of what do we need to do to get this law changed. And Christian and I had actually met through a mutual friend who was the son of our town's mayor at the time, uh, Gary Passanante in Somerdale, who is still currently the town's mayor. He's a great guy. He's helped us out so much. And we came to him with our problem and he had like some, you know, connections up in Trenton. He was like, let me see what I can do and talk to him. And that just started this process of, you know, us introduce writing and introducing a new bill to the state um, and just trying to get it past assembly and then actually, you know, voted okay on or signed into law by the governor. So we, we started this venture. We had this idea like back in 2012 and it wasn't until like Chris Christie's final year, like right before he left office, our bill finally passed assembly, got to his desk and he signed it and passed it. And it kind of opened up, um, the market for more meteries and more cideries in the state, which it's still limited. But it's more than we're before the law, and it's growing every year. So that's that's pretty cool too. Yeah, to usher in a, a new industry. 
that is a huge milestone, and you know that you have now. Um, all of you have now in order to to brag about, and also you know who knows what you're going to do with it, you know, in the future. But now, speaking of your actual um, brewery, what are some of the different meads and ciders that you have out right now? Yeah, so right now. Um, we are unfortunately limited by the number of taps that we have. So we have three mead taps and eight cider taps, but we have several more ciders kegged and ready to be drunk uh, in the back. We just wish we had more taps um, and same with the meads. But uh, currently our mead lineup, we have a Discordia, which is our very, like our most traditional style mead. It's just honey, water, and yeast. And we use orange blossom honey for that. Uh, yep, there it is. <laughs> There's a <laughs> bottle of it, um, which we actually, we are now using different bottles and we have a new label for it because we found a great artist uh, that's been doing all of our labels and we just, fantastic work this guy's doing. Um, uh, so yeah, Discordia is like our most traditional. Uh, then we have my personal favorite, at least that's on right now, maybe like top two of all time, uh, Abyss, which is a black currant mead. And black currants, they've actually been grown on Christian's uh, parents' land out in Pennsylvania because currants are technically illegal to grow in New Jersey because I think the state considers them an invasive species. So as far as I'm aware, you can't grow them in New Jersey, but we do grow them at uh, my partner's uh, parents' farm, farm, farmland, whatever, orchard. <laughs> um, so those are all estate grown and picked and processed. Um, it's, I tell people it's like being hugged from the inside. I love it. Um, and just this weekend we put on our, uh, peach apricot mead, which is called Immortal Empress, um, which is very lovely. It's, uh, not as good as the abyss, but it's pretty good. Uh, and all of these, you know, we've, we've gotten bottled, we've gotten labels made, we sell them out of the cidery and we're like, really like hitting the ground running now, trying to start distribution for these bottles of mead that we're making because we want to we want to get out there we want the word to spread and we want people to try good mead not that there isn't other good meat aren't other good meaderies out there um i hear great things about Primmingworn in uh, delaware um melavino up in new jersey uh, north jersey up in union is doing like amazing stuff so is beach bee but um you know that's four <laughs> that's that's only four commercial meaderies that I think are doing it really well. And I think there's a lot out there, at least still on the store shelves that aren't. Yeah. And now I've, I've obviously, you know, been to, <laughs> been to your uh, location in Somerdale and, um, and tried your different meads. I've tried every single one that you've had on tap, um, since sometime in some December, I want to say. And, um, I love every single, you know, mead that you have out there. I got a preview of some of the meads that you have coming out. One is um, a cranberry mead, and then another one is a strawberry rhubarb one that I'm super looking forward to because it's almost like biting the inside. It's like the inside of strawberry rhubarb pie. I loved it. Um, yeah. But I want to just make sure that we mention that you are going to be distributing um, at a new location as well. Yeah, um, we just uh, put our product on a store shelf, uh, a canals in Hamilton in North Jersey. 
not the Hamilton in South Jersey, but the Hamilton in North Jersey. Um, so that's exciting. That's our first like actual, like being on a shelf, being sold at retail. That's not our own property. So that was a huge milestone. And, you know, every day I'm, I'm calling places. I, I guess it kind of works out some kind of a booze hound. So I go around searching for Japanese whiskey. And then while I'm at a liquor store, I can just drop off my business card and a sell sheet and, you know, just say, Hey, here's, here's who we are. Here's what we're trying to do. Do you have any interest? So we're, we're forming those connections. It's a, it's a grassroots effort. I mean, it's perfect too, because you're, you are, as you said, you're one of a very select few places that creates mead. Um, and I, you know, leave it, leave it up to me to also like tell my local liquor stores, you know, Hey, check them out. <laughs> Cause yeah. it's really, really good. Like it's very delicious. So, um, I, I hate to let you go, but unfortunately, we do have to say, say goodbye. So thank you so much, Kyle. Um, everyone, go check out Armageddon Brewery in Somerdale, New Jersey. Kevin? Thank you, Kyle. Right across from Flying Fish. We're right across from Flying Fish. Yeah. All right, great. <laughs> Philly Rush. Right, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. PhillyRestaurantReviews.com for all information about the show, Emerald Park. You can find me across social media at ARPolicus, or if you'd like to be a guest or sponsor of the show, email me at ARPolicus at gmail.com. And if you would like to contact Gene Blum, he is ibfoodie2 or ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and many more social media platforms at Food Farms and Chefs. You can also email us at diningonadime at yahoo.com if you'd like to have us do a live show for your event or business.